morning, Good News Church. Uh, my name is uh, Videla Sekpi. I'm the Young Adult Ministry Director. And today I'm going to lead through the, the Bible uh, passage reading session. So if you would please stand to your feet and turn your Bible or your mobile device to Luke chapter 3. We'll start with verse 1 through verse 20. All right, verse 1. Are we ready? All right. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, tetrarch of the, re- the region of Euteria, and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, tetrarch of Al- Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Cephas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah in the wilderness. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord and make his path straight. Verse 5, and every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low and the crooked shall become straight, and the rough places shall become level ways, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Verse 7, So he said therefore to the crowd that came out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee the wrath to come? Verse 8, Bear fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now, the axe is laid at the root of the trees. And every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Verse 10. And the crowd asked him, What then shall we do? And he answered them, Whoever has two tunics is to share him with him who has none. And whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than you are authorized to do. Soldiers also asked him, And we, what shall we do? And he said to them, Do not extort money from anyone by threats, or by false accusation, and be content with your wages. Verse 15, as the people were in expectation, and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ, John answered them all, saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming. The straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie, He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and gather the wheat into his barn. But the shaft he will burn with unquenchable fire. So with many other exhortations, he preached the good news to the people. But Herod, the tetrarch, who had been reproved by him, For Herodias, his brother's wife, and for all the evil things that Herod had done, added this to them all, that he locked up John's 
John in prison. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, God, for your word today. God, we ask that this word will become very substance in our spirit, that it will transform us, it will shape us, it will lead us to be more like your son, Jesus. God, I pray for the spirit of revelation to accompany the teaching and the preaching of the word today. I thank you, Lord, for you are so good to us. We bless you in Jesus' name. Please put your hands together now and help me welcome our lead pastor, Pastor Walter Hayes. Thank you, and I reflect that right beyond, right onto the one who is the greatest teacher, uh, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So good to see you this morning. Fadegla, thank you for reading the passage and praying this morning. Uh, there's a lot in this passage. Uh, we could be here for hours. Some of you would love that. Others of you would hate that. Uh, uh, and we just don't have time for everything. Um, but there are two big, big questions that I think this passage helps us to answer this morning. And the first big question is this. How do I prepare the way for others to see the king? And the second question is, how do I prepare the way for myself or ourselves to see the king? Um, I want to back up to the, the very first couple verses, and we're, we're not going to read them together, but in the very first couple verses, Luke names seven different men, and I'm glad Vidigla got to read their names and not myself. <laughs> but the names included a, a Roman emperor, a governor, three tetrarchs, and two Jewish high priests. And I have to ask the question, why did, why did Luke take the time to mention these seven men? And I think the reason is, is because John was so unlike any of them. John was, was not a, a governor. He was not an emperor. He was not part of any political party or religious denomination. He was from a totally other kingdom. And I think Luke was trying to help us see the contrast between John, this prophet, this wild man in the wilderness, from those who were considered um, worthy of praise in that day. And the Bible says that the word of God came to John. It came to John. It didn't come to the governor. It didn't come to the emperor. The word of God came to John in the wilderness. It, it didn't come to one of the somebodies. It came to a nobody. It came to a nobody and it came through a nobody. And, and that's why I'm, I'm happy to stand here today. Because I'm a nobody who's heard from somebody Right. And, I, and he's given me something to say, and it's his word. Um, you could say that uh, John was um, he was kind of in, introducing. Uh, obviously, he was introducing something very, very new. But you could describe this very new thing as uh, uh, as the New Testament exodus. Remember the Old Testament exodus? The Israelites were being delivered from slavery. This was kind of like a, a New Testament exodus, if you will. Um, an exodus from slavery from one kingdom into a totally other kingdom, which is the kingdom of God's son. It was a proclamation to the religious and the political leaders of that day. Let my people go so they can worship me. OK, so in a sense, you could say John was introducing a, a whole new exodus. All right, some of you like that. OK, good. Uh, I liked it. Amen. Praise the Lord. Yeah. <laughs> All right. How many of you could use a good exodus today, right? Um, 
Frank Viola, Pastor Frank Viola, he says this. When a man or a woman received this message from John, they were renouncing everything in their lives. Okay, this is big stuff. I'm not sure we quite grasp how how different this message that John brought. Let me I hope, hope we can catch that today a little bit. Um, John's message was like a complete exodus from the old old way of doing church, the old way of doing that everything, everything's about to change. And Frank Viola says the message of John the Baptist was total and it was utter and it was absolute and it demanded complete devotion and total allegiance. He says it constituted a nonviolent revolution, a quiet revolt against the present order. John's revolutionary message, it prepared the way for the arrival of the son of God. The new king and his new nation that he was about to enter into history. The name of this new nation that John the Baptist announced is called the kingdom of God. It's the rule of heaven that has now come down to earth. New king, new kingdom. And the Bible says that uh, there were a lot of people who were coming out to see John. Some people were coming from Jerusalem, some from all around Judea. Some people would travel 20 miles to come and see this guy. I'm like, wow, that's that's pretty amazing. I mean, that's back before, you know, some of you travel 20 miles to come to good news. And you think that's a long way, but you have a car. You know, I mean, back then they, they didn't have that. So they're traveling, coming out. Why are they coming to see this guy? Was it um, was it the fact that, you know, we've got a prophet. We haven't had a prophet in 400 years. I mean, that's a good reason to come out and see this guy. Wow, we haven't heard from a prophet. We're going to come out and see. This is the new movie that's out, you know. I mean, he, he carried this. Me- maybe it's the message. They're like, this guy's got a totally different message. Or maybe it's what the dude was wearing. It was so weird. It was so different. And Frank Viola says this. John's very attire was a metaphor for his revolutionary message. Uh, he was a walking and breathing sign of this insurgence. And his outward appearance matched his message. God, or excuse me, John showed outwardly what God was looking for inwardly. Follow me here. If you're reading Matthew's account of this same passage, you'll find that Matthew wore a, or excuse me, uh, John wore a coat of camel's hair. Camel's hair was a ceremonially, camels were an unceremonially, uh, uh, they were unceremonial, they were ceremonially unclean. I need some help. Thank you for your help. Uh, And so, right? So he's wearing this this coat that was ceremonially unclean, right? And what he was saying is, you know, I'm defying the religious traditions of this day. I'm going to stand up here. I'm going to wear an unclean garment, right? He ate locusts and wild honey. And maybe that's what you had, honey bunches of oats for breakfast with a little bit of locusts scattered on the top, right? But he had broken with, what's a sign of? It's a sign of poverty. It's a sign of, I'm breaking with materialism, greed, and worldly pleasure. He never cut his hair, never trimmed his beard, showed that he defied human custom of the day, okay? He lived in the wilderness, showing that he had no attachments to this present world. And John was a walking revolution. And you could say that he was outrageous. You could describe him as scandalous. He was disruptive. Uh, he pulled out of this world system entirely, introducing a total new system or total new kingdom. 
So just in this opening opening passage, we see here that that John did not belong to Caesar, right? Didn't belong to Caesar, did not belong to the temple. He removed himself from the temple. He's in the wilderness. He's declaring, I belong to God. God has given me a word to say. God has given me a task. And it is to prepare the way for this new king. And the first big question that I want to answer, and I think this text answers this morning, is how can we prepare the way for others? How can we prepare this, the way for others to see the king? Well, we do what John did. What did John do? The Bible says John was a voice crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, right? Raise up the, the valleys, lower the mountains, right? Make level paths, straighten out all the crooked roads. See, back in that day and age, when a king was going to travel into his kingdom, um, they, would, they would send a messenger or a voice ahead of the king. And that voice would say, the king is coming. The king is coming. Prepare the way. And they would get out and they'd get their, they'd get, you know, they'd get out on the roads and they would uh, fill in all the potholes. That's what tax dollars are for. They fill in all the potholes and, and, uh, and all the rough roads. They would, they would clean them up. All the stumbling stones that were in the path, they'd clear them. They'd prepare the way for the king. And so, so John is, is, is that voice of the one in the wilderness. He's saying, hey, the king is coming. We've got to prepare the way. But he says, don't, don't worry about the roads. Don't prepare the roads. Prepare your heart. Prepare your mind. Prepare your life for this whole new way of, of living and thinking. Get ready. This is very, very different. He's saying it's not a political kingdom that Jesus is bringing in. And it's not a religious kingdom. It's a totally other kingdom. And it requires a baptism of repentance. Carrie and I, last summer, uh, we celebrated our 25th wedding anniversary. And so um, we decided, you know, we've... We've uh, we've 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 made the summit. We've 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 peaked the summit of 25 years of marriage. What we need to do now is we need to literally climb a 14,000 foot mountain. Let's do that. So we went to Colorado, and that's what we did. And it took us about six hours to get up to the top, and about three hours to come back down. And I was very thankful for gravity that day, because <laughs> on the way up was hard. But what would have made it harder was if we were the first ones preparing the way for the summit. But what happened is years and years before, people came before us. I don't know if it was the Boy Scouts or if it was the Parks Commission or what it was, but they, they went before us. Maybe it was other climbers who went before us, and they prepared the way for us to, to see the summit. And, and so they would take these stumbling, stock, these stumbling stones, and, and sometimes you, we'd find them in the trail because things would roll downhill and land on the... And, and they would remove these, these stumbling stones, and they would actually put them in place as stepping stones kind of as a ladder almost. And so for us to be able to, to see the summit, somebody went before us, somebody prepared the way, and that was awesome. And in the same way, God has said, I want you to be like John. I want you to, I want you to be the voice of the one in the wilderness who's preparing a highway for our God so other people can see him. And, and there are many people in this room today who you're born again, you're a Christian today, and somebody went before you and prepared the way for you to see Jesus. They prayed the way, they shared the way, they lived the way, they somehow prepared the way. And we all have this calling to be like John and prepare the way. Pastor Bruxy Cavey, um, 
he says this, and I love this. He wakes up every morning and he reminds himself, my purpose in life is to experience and extend the kingdom of God. My purpose in life today is to experience the kingdom of God and to extend the kingdom of God today. I love that. I think that's in the Bible somewhere. I think Jesus said, pray like this, thy kingdom Come, that thy, thy rule and the reign of God in my life. Jesus, be Lord today. I want to experience your lordship, your amazingness. And I also want to extend it to the people that I'm around. And Bruxy takes an interesting approach to apologetics, which is giving evidence of, of uh, that something is real. And his thesis uh, is this. He said, the gospel in and of itself is so compelling. The gospel, meaning the, the story, the good news of Jesus, he says, it's so compelling to the human condition, to our needs, that it is the most effective apologetic for the average person. And it's better than arguments from science or history or even from your personal testimony. So in other words, the story of Jesus and the stories Jesus told are powerful enough, right, are powerful enough to prepare the way than, than anything else. And, and bringing the story of Jesus into your everyday conversations is so powerful. The Bible says that the gospel, uh, the gospel of Jesus is so powerful. It's the power of God unto salvation. And so he gives some examples, and I just want to share a couple examples that um, Bruxy gives. Um, the first example is this. If somebody asked you, why do you believe in God? And that's a really good question. And you might get that question asked. Why do you believe in God? And his answer is this. He says this. I give them no other reason than I've read the teachings of Jesus and I've fallen in love with this man. I've read the teachings of Jesus and I've, I've, I've frankly, I've fallen in love with this man. And that's a great answer. And then he might say something. I can't think of another person, teacher, guru, philosopher that has taught anything more powerful to impact a person's life and psyche or experience than this man named Jesus. So he's pulling on his personal story here, personal experience. And then he'll say something, by the way, this guy, Jesus, he believed in God. (laughs) In fact, this guy, Jesus, he was drunk with God. And I'm drunk with Jesus, therefore I believe in God. Jesus is amazing. That's why I believe in God. So he's using personal experience and it's powerful because nobody can take away your personal experience, right? Nobody can take that from you. Nobody can argue with your personal experience. And it's very, very powerful, especially to the person who has experienced it. All right. So the downside of sharing your personal experience with God is this. Uh, you might say, hey, God has really changed my life. He can change your life, right? And if your story is God delivered you from drugs and from alcohol and, and this was broken and that was broken and God fixed it. I mean, if that's part of your story, somebody may go, hey, that's great for you, but I'm not broken in that way, so I don't get it. You know, I guess it worked for you, but it's not for me. So personal story has its limitations. That's why Bruxy would say a gospel-based apologetic is our boast, is our best, excuse me, in giving a defense of the gospel. A gospel-based, the story of Jesus, right, is the best apologetic. It removes you from the story and makes the good news not about you, but about Jesus and nothing but Jesus. You have to believe that Jesus is that powerful. He doesn't need your story. All right. 
Now, your story is important. It's part of sharing the good news. But the good news is the message of Jesus himself. And it is evidence enough to believe. And by the way, uh, next Sunday, you've got to come back because we um, we've invited a gentleman to come to tell his story. He's a former Muslim. And he's going to tell the story about how other people have simply told the story, shared simple things about Jesus that really prepared the way for him to see the king. Uh, It's powerful. Please, please be back for that next week. So Bruxy would say this in your conversations, in your gospel telling conversations, um, the, the, the first answer you give to any question is Jesus. Now, how many of you know that's like the Sunday school answer, right? You always just Jesus. And he says, think of it like this. When you are when you um, um, when you're going to sneeze, what happens? It just suddenly comes upon you and you sneeze. Right. Think of it like that. Think sneeze Jesus when somebody asks you a question and they say, you know, why? Why do you believe in God? Jesus, Jesus. You know, and just you think, OK, it's just the, the immediate response is, is Jesus all the time. OK, and then think of a story connected to Jesus that Jesus told. Maybe it was a miracle. Maybe it was a parable. Maybe it was a teaching. Right. Um, and so he would say something like this. So if somebody asks you a question like, why does evil and suffering exist in the world? Sneeze Jesus. Right. Why does evil and suffering exist in the world? Good question. I have another question. Why would the God who created the world be willing to become the victim of evil within it? So instead of saying, hmm, that's a really good question and have this big debate and bring science and history into it, why evil exists, bring Jesus into it. Bring Jesus into the question. I don't know. That's a great question. I have another question. Why would the God who created the world allow himself to be the victim of the evil within it? I like that one. I may not have the answer to that question, but I can tell you about a God who does not lord himself over suffering, but he submits himself underneath it and becomes the victim of it. Why? So he can lead us through it. So we we don't have to have, you know, that's the best answer that I can give you about this thing about evil and suffering. Why would the God who created this world subject himself to the evil within it? And what you're doing is you're saying this Jesus is something special. This 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 God who could have said he could have he could have removed, he could have called 10,000 legion of angels to deliver him from the cross. He submitted himself to the evil and the suffering of this world. Why would a God like that do a thing like that? So when people ask a question, sneeze, sneeze, what? Connected to a story, connected to. Um, You know, I was reading this morning or reminds me of a miracle or reminds me of a parable that Jesus told. The second question that I think we need to answer from this passage is this. How can we somebody say we how can we prepare the way for ourselves to see the king? All right. So how can we prepare others? How can we prepare ourselves to see the king? And the answer is quite simple. And it's found in here. And it's repent and be baptized. Repent and be baptized. Can I tell you, this is not a warm, fuzzy message this morning. If you came to church to feel good, I'm sorry if you're not going to feel good from this message. Kind of. So some of you are going to get blessed with conviction this morning. 
And that's great because conviction can lead to repentance and repentance leads to the forgiveness of sin. So you might be in Christ, been born again for a long, long time. And and this message is for you. So verse number three. And he went into all the region, talking about John, around the Jordan, proclaiming the baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Let me just give you a little history on baptism here for a moment. Um, Baptism was nothing new to the Jewish people in that day. Okay. What was new is that John was telling them they had to get baptized. And the reason that was new is because the Jewish people in that day, they had no need for baptism. The only people that got baptized were the Gentiles who converted to Judaism. And they would say, oh, well, for you to be to be converted to Judaism, you have to be baptized. You can go to the Jewish center here in Omaha, Nebraska today. And if you do all the right things, you too can be baptized into Judaism, literally into water baptism. And so the Jews would baptize the Gentiles, but never were the Jews told to be baptized. And here this guy shows up, 400 years of silence. He goes, no, it's you that needs baptism. You're the one that needs to be baptized. Now, let's just review what that is, okay? There's, um, baptism comes from a Greek verb, uh, baptizo. How many of you ever heard of baptizo before? All right. And it means uh, to overwhelm or to immerse baptizo to overwhelm or to immerse, not to be confused with the other Greek word, which is bapto. So you've got baptizo and bapto bapto. Let's have fun for just a moment here. Um, Back in 200, um, 200 B.C., uh, there was a Greek poet. And physician named Nicanor. Okay. And Nicanor, he gave the, the best example of the difference between baptizo and bapto. Uh, and the way he gave the, um, the way he helped us understand the difference between these two Greek verbs is he actually wrote down a recipe for making pickles. How many of you like pickles? All right. So some of you do, some of you, I lost you already. All right. Um, But Nicanor would say that in order to make a pickle, the cucumber, the vegetable first had to be dipped, bapto, into boiling water and then baptized, baptizo, in the vinegar solution. All right. Both verbs concern the immersing of the cucumber in a solution. But the first is a temporary solution, bapto, right? You're dipped in. The second act of baptizing the vegetable, baptizo, produces a permanent change resulting in a pickle, all right? Many want to be dipped. Few want to be baptized into Christ, all right? And this is not New. John the Baptist was facing this very thing and he rebuked the crowds that day because they wanted to get dipped into the water, right, without being baptized into Christ. Um, and this was what he was facing. Um, baptism, as we understand it, is so much more than a, an event that takes place on a Sunday morning. Okay? It's so much more than an event. I was I was saved in 1986, uh, Easter Sunday, uh, and I I submitted to the lordship of Jesus Christ and received Him as my Savior. About three months later, I was baptized in a lake called Gun Lake in Michigan. Right, that that experience being baptized it was it was it was an event, but it was so much more than an event. All right, it's more than an event where you get wet and where you get your picture taken. 
baptism, baptism is really a funeral. Okay, it's, it's a death. The cucumber is no more. The cucumber is now a, a pickle. There's no going back to the cucumber. No going back, right? You can be dipped, right? You can be a cucumber, be dipped, and you're still a cucumber. But until you are baptizo, until you're immersed, until you're completely covered and saturated in, you're still that cucumber. All right, some of you realize this morning you are not the pickle you thought you were. So through the waters of baptism, okay, it's not just an event, it's a a lifestyle. I'm declaring that I am dead to the kingdoms of this world. Uh, I am dead to money. I I am not controlled by it. I am not motivated by it. I am not upset when I lose it. I'm not happy when I make it. I am dead to it. I'm dead to sexual preferences. I'm dead to political preferences. Somebody say amen. I'm dead to racial preferences. I'm dead to the things that matter here on this earth. And I am now fully alive to the things that matter in heaven. And I'm saying, God, what matters in heaven may now matter on earth, not just to me, but to everybody I come into contact with. That's baptism. By the way, Jesus was baptized. Come back this Wednesday, find out why, right? If it's a baptism of repentance, why was Jesus baptized? Majid, our director of uh, Good News for Ishmael, will be preaching this Wednesday uh, along with our prayer meeting. And uh, he's going to preach the next passage in Luke and talk about why Jesus was baptized and why his genealogy is so important to us. So come back this Wednesday as well. Verse number seven, John said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized, he said to them, you brood of vipers. I mean, you know, that's good church language. Welcome to Good News Church, you brood of vipers. Right? I mean, that doesn't sound really warm and friendly. Right? Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? So like I said earlier, many of them had come, uh, had come from all around, had traveled miles through the desert wilderness to get to John. And it would not be unusual for them to encounter some vipers, some snakes along the way. And what would happen is sometimes in the desert, these these little pocket fires would begin because of the heat or maybe there was a lightning storm or something. And what would happen is, is the 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 the, the, the tundra, the, the brush would catch fire. And guess what would happen? The vipers, right, would flee the fire. Right. And so here they're coming and he's using language. They understand he's calling them a brood of vipers. You said, you know what? The heat is on. The fire is on. Now you're trying to escape the fire to come. And they're like, oh. We know what he's talking about, right? And John called them a brood of vipers because they wanted a baptism without repentance. They wanted bapto without baptizo. They wanted to be dipped. They didn't want to be immersed. They wanted an apologetic dip in the waters of baptism to escape the wrath to come. And they thought the waters of baptism would convert them. Okay, fine. If that's what we have to do, then just let's get this over with. Do I have to get wet? Right? We worry about getting our hair wet. Some of us do. (laughs) And they thought the waters of baptism would convert them. And John made it clear. It's not about the water. (laughs) It's about repentance. 
It's about repentance, he said. And repentance is not a quiet apology and it's not a temporary dip. Repentance and baptism are not events that happened years ago or a few weeks ago. Repentance and baptism are everyday experiences for the believer. It's every day that we repent and we turn from this kingdom to another kingdom. And it happens every day. It's not something that happened for me 20, 30 years ago, right? It has to happen every single day or I go back to the kingdoms of this world. Every day, every day. I'm not of this world. I'm not controlled by that. That's not my source any longer. I repent. I turn from that and I turn to Christ and his kingdom. John said in verse number eight, bear fruits in keeping with repentance. Bear fruits in keeping with repentance and do not say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. In other words, John was saying, don't tell me Abraham's your spiritual daddy. Don't say, don't tell me about your racial or your religious heritage. It's not going to work in this new kingdom. It doesn't matter in this new kingdom. It's not who your earthly father is. It's who your heavenly father is. You're not saved by birth. You're saved by new birth. Don't put your hope in your tradition or your ancestry.com or your race or your nationality or even your religion. Abraham was saved by faith. And so are you. If you want to be sons and daughters of Abraham, then do what Abraham did. Believe God. Believe God. Abraham's faith looked forward to the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And our faith looks back towards the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. So as we wrap up, how can I know if I have truly repented? All right? If we're going to see the king, and if we're going to see the king every day in our lives... We have to do what John said. And John said you have to, you have to uh, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Repentance is a change of mind that leads to a change of behavior. Listen, if nothing has changed, nothing has changed. Uh, it doesn't matter to me what day you got baptized or what day you raised your hand or what day you made a decision or what day you prayed a prayer or what day you left one church for another or one religion for another. That doesn't matter. You can do all those things. You can be baptized and have not repented. And the Bible says if you have not repented, you're still dead in your sins. You're still a cucumber. So you can do all these things on the outside. But, but if life really hasn't fundamentally changed for you, then you have not repented. And the Bible describes you as dead in your sin. Dead in your sin. So the good news is, is this group, this crowd, they asked a very good question. What then shall we do? <laughs> what then shall we do? Verse number 10. And I love this because John makes it really practical. Repentance is really practical. He says, if, if you want to know if you've repented or not, you look at two things. You look at how you treat people and how you treat money. That's what he says. He says this. If you have two coats, share with the one who has none. If you have more food than you need, you're going to share with those who do not have food. Do not collect any more than you are authorized to collect. What's he talking about? Don't lie on your income tax return. Right? <laughs> Your income tax statement. Don't use money to manipulate to get what you want. Don't use your wealth and your power, right, 
to, to get what you want. Use your wealth and your power to give to those who don't have wealth or power. Don't be greedy, but be content with your wages. And you see what's interesting to me about this. There are three different people that came and, and, and they all asked the question, what should we do? And each one of you here today should ask that same question and then listen to the Holy Spirit. And what would the Holy Spirit tell you that you need to do? Because you're, you may not be the soldier and you may not be the tax collector, right? You may not be the business owner, but the God, God's going to tell you what it looks like for you to repent. He's really good at doing that. And so some of you here today, you realize that, um, that, that your attitude and your actions towards people or towards money and possessions needs to change. And when you change your attitude and your actions towards people and towards money, the Bible calls that repentance. So I was visiting with a a young family a few weeks ago, and um, the husband is self-employed, loves his job, his his business. Uh, He works it hard. He loves to work. How many of you know work is not part of the curse? Work was given before the curse. He loves to work and he could work every night and every weekend and he'd be great with that. And he did that for like four years. And then his wife stepped in and said, I want you home by 6 p.m. At least four nights a week, something like that. I want you home by 6 p.m. And she said, if you value me and the family, you will be home by 6 p.m. So what did he do? He gave up tens of thousands of dollars to be home by 6 p.m. Now, what is that called? That's repentance. That's the cucumber becoming a pickle. You know, you, you, you can say, and some of you are married to somebody like this. Sorry, this is going to mess up your lunch today. Um, where there's a pattern of behavior going on in your marriage and you keep hearing, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, right? But there's no change. That's not repentance. That's, that's an apology. That's really not even apology, right? It's pathetic. It's just pathetic. So at some point you have to say, you know what? This bothers me enough and this relationship is important to me enough. I will change. With God's help, by God's grace, I will change. God will enable me to do that. Repentance. John the baptizer, when asked, what should we do? He kept it very, very simple. He said, you're going to treat people different. You're going to treat money different. We live in a day when people are not called to repentance. They're called to tolerance. That's our community. That's our culture. Don't ask me to repent. Don't call me to repentance. We should tolerate. If you love me, you will tolerate my behavior. That is the gospel of this world, which is not any gospel at all. Right? We call people to repentance, not because we hate them, but because we love them. And we believe that Jesus is worthy of their repentance and their worship. We also live in a church age where a lot of churches don't call people to repentance. They call people to deliverance. You've got sin in your life. You need deliverance. No, you don't. You need repentance. Repentance is deliverance for the believer. And I'm glad that's what we preach and practice here at Good News Church. There's a calling of repentance. And it's a lifestyle for the Christian. 
In fact, when the Protestant Reformation came, Martin Luther, he nailed 95 theses to the door of the Wittenberg Cathedral Church. And the first line of the 95 theses was this, all of a Christian's life is one of repentance. All of a Christian's life is one of repentance. Repentance is not mere confession where you apologize and you keep doing it. Repentance is changing, not just confession, confessing. And by God's help, we can change. I want you to stand with me as we close today. The king is coming. He has come and he's coming again. And God has called us to do the same that he has called John the Baptist to do. And that is to prepare the way for others by simply telling the good news of Jesus. Not making it about us, not making it about history and science, but actually pointing to the story, uh, person of Jesus. The king is coming. Prepare the way for yourself by repenting for the forgiveness of your sins. Let's bow our heads. God, today we put ourselves... um, before you and some of us God have been dipped and we are ready to be pickled we are ready to be immersed we are ready for full complete transformation God we want to leave the life that we are living and live the life that you have for us in Christ God we're not looking to escape the fires to come we're not looking to run from judgment run from hell we're looking to run to you God and live lives of repentance and live lives of baptism so Lord what should we do what should we do I want all of you just to ask that of the Lord right now what should I do what should I do God, how should I repent? God, what do I need to change my mind about and change my behavior about? God, I don't want to just be dipped. I want to immerse. I want to be saturated through and through with this new king and his new kingdom and his new way of thinking and living. God, may it permeate the way we treat others, the way we treat our money and possessions that really all belong to you in the first place. God, may we live lives like John the Baptist, just totally other life, not connected to anything in this world. And God, may people come from all around to come and see us, the salt and the light. We ask in Jesus' name. Invite our prayer workers to come at this time. We've gone over a little bit, um, and that's okay. But if you'd like some prayer, we, we're here to pray with you. Be thinking this week and in your small groups how can I prepare the way for others to see the King, and how can I prepare the way for myself to see more of the King? God bless you this morning.